When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What would a major drought mean for inflation? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Sean Hackett, president of Hackett Financial Advisors. Hi, Sean. It's great to see you again. Hey, Meg. It's great to be back talking agricultural and weather with Real Vision in you. Yeah, that's right. Now, so for, for those of you who may not be familiar with Sean's work, he has spent decades tracking the commodity complex with a keen focus on the agricultural commodities and the major weather cycles that can affect the global supply chain. So it's always really interesting to hear what you're looking at. But Sean, I woke up this morning, turned on the news, and I thought, um, what a perfect day to have you on because the news out of California is insane. I mean, I couldn't believe the pictures. Epic. I mean, this is a, a, a state that we're used to being in kind of perma drought. We have epic rains, mudslides, evacuations, mu crazy blizzard snow in the mountains. I mean, what is going on? Why is this happening? Well, it has happened before. It's called a pineapple express or an atmospheric river. And essentially, it's when you get an amplified jet stream that flows right down through California and just keeps bringing the storm systems in and creating that epic rainfall and that epic snow phenomenon. What makes this particular event over the top from what we've seen before is two things. One thing is that we're in a quieting sun, which we've talked about on your show before, which helps contract the atmosphere and create a more amplified jet stream. The other thing, however, was that we saw this Tonga eruption occur early last year in 22. That was a 1,000 year event that it pumped this water vapor in the stratosphere and also pulled the outer stratosphere um, more than it would normally be the case. And that contracts the atmosphere even further and amplifies the gesture even further. The more amplified, the greater the impact of these kinds of pineapple expresses that we're seeing. So it's a combination of this one in 1,000 year Tonga eruption meeting up with a grand solar cycle, minimal period of a quiet sun that's created this drought-busting, crazy situation that, you know, we like I said, we really haven't seen anything like it at all since really 2017-18, the last time we had that kind of, of an atmospheric river. So. Yeah, this is why I love talking to you, Sean, because I, I love to find out that there's a reason behind it, because you look at it and you just think, like, piled on all the other news we had. By the way, we do have some people who are joining, listening in for California. We hope you're all okay and you're safe. Um, but Johnny Airport was giving us a report just before we came on air, um, talking about the fact that, you know, even sort of local coastal rivers are flooding. And he's saying he hasn't seen this kind of stuff since he was a kid growing up, when it used to be a little bit more normal. So if this is on the abnormal, what does it mean further out? Obviously, a lot of pain right now. Um, and again, we're hoping everyone stays safe. But 
is this going to help relieve some of the drought conditions? I'm just thinking of all the snow piling up in the mountains, which is re- usually really critical for California. So is there a little bit of good news on the end of this? And what does this mean for agriculture there? Beyond the, obviously, the, the extreme humanitarian situation at the moment, uh, the other side of this is very positive for agriculture. Because we've been, this kind of epic snowfall, epic snowpack, spring melt that we're going to get is going to bring those reservoirs up. It's going to bring those rivers up. It's going to allow for greater uh, uh, water allocations to agricultural producers who need it, um, even for those that need the drinking water. So it, it's a, you know, hay production, alfalfa has been devastated for the livestock production uh, producers out West. So this is a, uh, a, a really positive short-term uh, event that's going to make growing food out West uh, much, much easier and much more productive than it's been the last two to three years when we've had this escalating uh, epic drought that we've had. So, so there's a good side to this um, in that once it's over, you know, we will see some better abilities to grow more food locally here in the United States. Yeah. And, and you know, hopefully people are sort of um, running fast with some of the technology to take advantage of this moment, or at least, you know, make something good out of the pain everyone's experiencing is it going to last? I mean, is this pattern in place where it's just going to keep throwing storms at the West Coast, or is this sort of seasonally at the end of what to expect? I believe that this extreme part of it is, is going to end here in probably another week and a half, and then we're going to it's going to ease back, and I think we'll get into more of a normal, you know, late winter or spring pattern where you get moisture, but not this kind of epic. I do believe that this is about to end, and at least the immediate humanitarian side of it will, will ebb. Um, in terms of the, 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 the one to two year picture, and El Nino is coming late in 23, which does tend to suggest that next winter and next spring is likely to be good for moisture. Not saying it has to be a pineapple express, by the way, but I do think we're in for a, a better couple of years here for Western and specifically California um, moisture. And, and that's going to take the, a lot of the concern off that we had that um, you know we were going to have to shut the shut the water off or or have rolling water shutdowns um, and, and get to something far more extreme. This is at least going to kick the can down the road at least a few years at this point, which is awesome. Buys everybody some time. Um, and by the way, we're talking about this impact on agriculture because obviously that's Sean's area of expertise. But um, I think I think the damage total already is a billion dollars. Clearly, that's going to climb. We're talking about people not able to go to work. Uh, it's going to be an impact on the insurance industry. So all good things to check against if you're holding any of those in your portfolio as we talk about the fallout from what is a major economy in the world. Forget about a huge state here in the U.S. Um, the other big sort of topical issue I want to hit you with right off the top is um, the mild winter for some of the other folks, including we've been talking about the terrible ski conditions on the East Coast, but that mild winter in Europe has been a huge relief for all of the folks there facing the energy crisis. Again, it, it, is that likely to stay in place through the winter months? I mean, is this the kind of winter we're going to have, or are we going to see the next few months turn a lot colder? Our forecast has been all along that we wouldn't have a major winter, that we would have a shorter winter, uh, an early end to the winter. Um, and we were kind of playing down the idea that an energy crisis would take place because of that reason. Um, one of the things, going back to the Tonga eruption, water vapor not only blocks the sun back out cooling the atmosphere, but also, but also traps the heat from within and prevents the uh, heat of the earth from escaping, which causes a kind of a warming effect on a short-term basis. One of the reasons 
you know, that thing, uh, kind of a warmer, shorter winter this year, it's, that water vapor is going to stay in that stratosphere for another year, maybe a year and a half before it dissipates, which means we're expecting next winter also to be on the shorter, warmer side. So I think when we're looking at energy, buying some time to catch up, you know, finding other solutions to maybe get ourselves ahead of this energy crisis situation that developed, I think we actually will have another good go of it next winter. It would be the winter after that one mm. that I would be worried about a long, cold, protracted winter. And I would hope by then we have our ducks in a row and are more prepared than we would have been had we had one of those now. So. Very interesting. By the way, any questions, comments, you know what to do. You can throw them in the comment section on our platform, uh, put them in the chat box or hit us uh, on Twitter at Real Vision. And um, Sean has so many great charts to go along with this, especially related to the weather. Um, we're not going to get a chance to put all of them up. They You really need to sort of sit and look through them. So if it's all right with Sean, hopefully afterwards for our members, we'll put that, um, post that a link to, to the uh, report so you can see all of it when especially when he's talking about some of these complicated weather systems that no no one except the meteorologists really track except you sean so um so let's pull the lens back so the energy looks like we're going to get a reprieve that's super super important but but overall if we're looking at commodities right because that is encompasses everything agriculture you know, soft commodities. Um, you had something in your report that was really interesting, and that is looking at this kind of commodity cycle broadly. And we know that we've seen a, a pullback, a pretty pretty severe pullback in commodities. What happens from here? What are you watching? Hey, Maggie, when we get into these, we believe is a 10 or 15 year, generally speaking, elevated cycle for commodities. You come out of the gate hard and fast, and you get a couple of years of really strong moving, you know, markets moving higher, like we saw from 2020 into 2000, early 22. And then you typically get a year reprieve. You get a pause, uh, a correction, unwinding of some of the excess, unwinding of some of the overshooting that we might have seen. You tend to then get a reflation cycle as the market realizes that the what caused the big increase to begin with had not been solved and that we still have issues with supply um, not meeting demand and that sort of thing. And you know, and then we have another surge higher again. So the 70s had this pattern, the 2000s had this pattern, the 1930s had this pattern. It's a very reliable pattern that uh, repeats over and over again. And we're due for that pattern to complete this one year correction later in the first quarter here, if we were to follow that very reliable cycle that we went back to the 1700s and verify. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, uh, and it's interesting, we were, for those of you who get our newsletter, this is exactly the question we were asking uh, today and that we started the show with, right? What, what, are, what, what does a drought mean for inflation? What do commodities, what's the relationship between commodities and inflation? Um, if you don't get that newsletter, uh, if you're not signed up for it, somebody will drop something um, so that you can, it's free. Uh, so Sean is, first of all, wh wh what's leading? Is our, 
uh, are commodities leading inflation? Are commodity, you know, what's the relationship between commodities and inflation as you see it? Commodities always are a leading indicator of inflation. They go up first and the inflation follows. They fall first and then the inflation follows. So when we topped out in February, March, we were, you know, you look out six months and we would start to see inflation coming down and pretty much, give or take, we've been seeing inflation start to come down on that six month delay from the commodity performance. So commodities are a great leading indicator of the future of rising inflation or, mm. or declining inflation. Um, and so we would expect to see commodities reassert themselves, um, which would suggest that 2024, for example, we might see inflation come back into the fray. Maybe not as severe as the one we just saw that was COVID related to some extent, but we would see inflation come back and maybe a, a second wave. So this is very interesting when it comes to time frame. And I just want to point this out here because we have some people talking about uh, you know, sort of lightening up on commodities, being careful about a continued fall in commodities. Some of them may be talking in a shorter time frame. Right now, when we're talking with you, Sean, you're looking out on a multi-year basis here, and you see um, an, an, an upturn, but it may be at the end of this year. Is that right? It may not be in 23. It may be more of a 24, 25 story. Well, I think what happens is when you make a low, let's let's say I'm correct and the cycle's correct and we make a low in the first quarter. It doesn't mean you go straight up into a major move higher again. It may mean that you grind up two steps forward, one steps back, but you don't really get the commodity cycle going again, like you said, until you get to the latter part of the year. I think that's probably um, the way to look at it, being a little more conservative and thinking that way. And that's usually, it takes a little while to rebuild the confidence to get the speculators to come back to the markets, to get the capital flows to come back to the markets again. So I would agree that a low in the first quarter doesn't mean up, up, and away. It just means that it's the big, it's a it's a slow turn of the cycle back up that will build ahead of steam, especially as we get into 2024. Okay, that's really interesting. And so is and then do we need to look at different parts of commodities? Is this it sounds like it's a it's a structural supply problem. Is this going to be led by energy again, or is this agriculture really leading the way this time around? Every cycle has a different leader. Um, the leader in the 2000s was clearly energy. Um, I would argue the leader this time has clearly been agriculture. And I think the one reason that we continue to believe it's going to continue to be that way is because the weather volatility factor that we've been talking about on your show for many years now um, is of an order of magnitude the likes that we have not seen you know in over 400 years and because of that the supply shortages that are going to be ongoing in the food sector and the kind of changes we need and the kind of technologies we need to overcome it it's just not going to happen right away it's going to take a while and I think we're you know in, in a world where we have eight billion people that are going to be wanting to eat food, um, you know, it's that is something we're not accustomed to. You know, we're not accustomed to not being able to grow food at one and a half to two percent a year. Um, and so that to me means this is the era of agriculture leading the way. Doesn't mean energy can't have moves higher, doesn't mean other markets can't do well, but I think this is a food centric commodity space that you want to be, let's say, overweighted in versus other uh, asset classes and commodities. Wow. And and we know there's always so much concern. I mean, this is dating back to the very beginning of last year when I was talking to Peter Zahan. We, we, you know, when you when you're talking about chronic food issues and shortages in the supply chain, we know that there's a very quick line to unrest and strife and 
um, and you know humanitarian crisis. So that's something to be really concerned about. So let's dig in a little bit. Um, you are, if we're looking at agricultural commodities, let's pull the weather back into this because you're expecting one of the big themes is a delayed El Nino, right? So like, what are the, what does that mean and why is that so important? Well, most of the models, the weather models are projecting El Nino by spring, summer. Most of the weathermen are projecting El Nino by spring, summer. They're, you know, utilizing um, short-term analogs and, and, and to, to try to put out what they think should happen. The problem is, is that this Tonga eruption that took place. I hate to keep going back to it, but I, I, I want to talk emphasize. Talk to us about unusual. Tonga. We love it. Nobody <laughs> else is telling us this stuff, Sean. So you can talk about Tonga all you want. <laughs> well, um, because the Tonga eruption occurred and because it has a warming effect in the short run, it's going to have a tendency of preventing. I want to get too complicated, but it, mm -hmm. right now, in order to get El Nino to form, you need westerly winds to bring um, downwelling in. And, and warm water into the Central Pacific Ocean. Um, the warming of effect of Tonga helps delay those westerly winds from occurring on, when they would normally occur under normal circumstances, delaying or pushing out the normal time frame that we would expect to see that. We also went back, so for example, there's a couple of things like the Southern Oscillation Index and the Multivariate ENSO Index, which we talked about in our report that we sent you. And I don't want to go far afield, but there are ways of measuring El Nino La Nina strength. At the end of the year, we went, we looked at a plus 30 on the Southern Oscillation Index, and we looked at a minus 1.5 on the multivariate ENSO. And we went back to 1850 and looked back to every time that we saw those two combinations. And what we found was that only one time had out of 14 times did we have El Nino occur in the spring summer of the following year. Only two times out of 14 did it occur in the following year. That means you have a 7% chance that a spring, summer El Nino is going to occur based upon statistics, and only a 14% chance it's going to happen by the fall, meaning that the preponderance of the historical statistical evidence suggests that El Nino will likely be delayed until the fourth quarter and really be a 2024 phenomenon. So when we, the reason why we care so much about that is La Nina, tends to promote more of a drought pattern here in the U.S. El Nino tends to promote more of a moist, uh, a wet pattern here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. When we look back at all the major droughts that the U.S. has had, the Dust Bowl of the 1930s, the 1988 drought, the 2012 drought just 10 years ago that was really severe, they have to occur in either a La Nina state or in a neutral state. They call it La Nada. But they cannot have never happened in an El Nino state. So this is very important because we're entering what's called an 89-year Weisberg cycle of one in 100-year droughts. That means every 89 years, the U.S. Midwest tends to have a one in 100-year drought. We actually went back and verified this to the year 955, the year 955 to the present, and it has picked a one in 100-year drought every time within an 89-year window. Now, it can be one or, you know, plus or minus a year, but I mean, and so that window is 2023, 24, 25. That's the window that this one in 100 year drought is back up to repeat like it did in the 1930s Dust Bowl. Mm. 1934 was the worst drought year of the Dust Bowl. 
go 89 years, it's 2023, but it can be off by a little bit. So what we're trying to do is determine when is the El Nino going to happen? Because we know a drought will not happen in that year. And when will it not happen? Because that's when the probabilities go up significantly that you can have this 89 year Gleisberg cycle kick in. So if we're correct, our statistics are correct, that we're going to have an El Nino miss the US growing cycle, that means that the 2023 year, we have an elevated risk that this is the year that the Gleisberg cycle is going to trigger. Um, and if it were to do that at a time that we, we literally don't have any major ending stocks of corn, soybeans, or wheat lying around of any concert, the humanitarian issue and consequences that you mentioned earlier would obviously escalate uh, to something very, very uncomfortable. Not that I'm excited about the prospects of that, but I always believe that being prepared, being aware, being able to make adjustments is far more important than to be blindsided or run over not even having an idea that something like that might be possible. And so that's why we're, we've been working so hard to try to get this forecast of El Nino running your right. And we're pretty confident El Nino that the most of the, the consensus is wrong about it being spring, summer. And we're pretty confident it's gonna be later in the year. As such, we're gonna be looking for the signpost that this glycework cycle is going to trigger later this spring and really create a major uh, weather volatility event this summer's growing season. And uh, obviously, you know, if, if you had a crystal ball, if any of us did, we wouldn't be sitting here. So this is a game of probabilities, but you're just concerned yes. because now the probability is rising that, you know, you could have a perfect storm of structural supply issues and then this weather pattern hitting on top. Uh, I, we've got a, a bunch of questions about specific ag commodities. I'm going to try to rifle through them, but uh, it's funny to talk about drought when we're sitting here watching half of California get washed away. How do we want to square that? Well, uh, the, the drought I'm talking about, Maggie, is is a Midwestern drought. Okay, so forget about what's happening sort of east of well, the, I mean, west of it, the it, Sierras. It, it's really a little bit later and what happens in the middle of the country. Yeah, the Gleisberg cycle is much more, uh, uh, the, the correlation there is much more of a Midwestern drought correlation. Texas, Midwest, Northern Plains, Eastern Grain Belt. That's what we're really talking about here. You can have the West be fine, but it's that square that we're really talking about. And that's where corn, soybeans, and wheat, and you know, you know, all the really, really big uh, grain commodities are grown in the U.S. that can set you know, a lot of things off on the inflation side, at least the food inflation side, um, that might be part of this cycle. We talked about what commodities tend to you know, see a reflation. Part of that could be this weather cycle kicking in at exactly this time. So if, if, we're, if that's a potential and a concern, what's most negatively affected by that? What would you be thinking about being short or being concerned about? And, and what are you long? Like, how do you play that? Well, I mean, my belief would be is that you would the the front half of the growing season would be have, would have a much higher probability of having that kind of a drought than let's say the latter part, meaning that you know, we're trying we're trying to take a, a a hair follicle we're trying to split it right now. So uh, my feeling is that I'm very confident that the probabilities that say May June July could be extremely dry and hot. It's possible we could have a late season reprieve that could say, for example, the soybeans are much more impacted by the latter part of the growing season weather. So if I'm thinking through, let's say, just take the major grain markets, 
if I'm thinking wheat, corn, and soybeans, I'd be much more thinking corn and let's say spring wheat as poster children for this potentiality, not as much soybeans. We would need to get further along in the cycle to see if we would continue this kind of a drought to the tail end of the cycle. So as an example, 2012 was a very severe drought, not a one in 100 year drought, but a very nasty drought. But we did catch some rains at the tail end of the season that saved the soybean crop from as much from having as, as much of a decline in yields as did the corn and the wheat market. So right now, based upon statistics and probabilities, wheat, corn over soybeans at this moment in time. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Right. What about uh, cattle and hogs? Uh, Ralph is asking about those two. Well, remember that the drought we've had the last couple of years, especially out west, has caused a lot of herd liquidation. Herd liquidation means more supply onto the market, means it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a bearish factor. Um, but with all the rain we're getting out west, and given that the west is so important in the livestock trade, um, we will start to see the herd rebuilding phase coming into the fray a little bit, retaining the animals, keeping them back, reproducing those animals, not putting them into the marketplace. So we think that the back half of the year, you know, the number of animals that are be coming to the market is going to be extremely tight. The last time I saw a cycle like this was 2013-14, after the 2012 drought that we had. We had a herd rebuilding cycle and we saw some pretty significant spike trades higher in the livestock complex. And so we would think um, the back half of the year would be the time to be looking for some potential for shortages to develop in the livestock sector. Um, I think the first half of the year, because of those rains, um, because of the economy, um, I, I'm not sure we're quite ready yet for prime time on livestock. I think demand could be um, soft enough that you know, we might have a, um, too much supply for at least the near term, but I would really be targeting back half of 23 to 24 for uh, you know kind of that herd rebuilding move higher uh, bike trade that we've seen in past cycles where this has happened. Mm. We're talking about some of the structural issues. We haven't even touched on the war in Ukraine that's continuing to you know drag on. I know in your report you highlight some weather impacts as well there that could continue to cause problems. What about the demand side? What about China reopening? Well, I mean, um, we know that when we decided it was time to do it, we know when Europe decided it was time to do it, we know when India decided it was time to do it, it's three to five months of the worst conditions of possible. And then and, and then everybody comes out from hiding and everybody comes back, decides they want to do something again and they want to buy something again, they want to go back to work again. So Clearly, demand is going to be extremely challenging the next three or four months. One of the reasons that the first quarter might be the low point because we have still have to eat through. Stocks can sometimes trade future expectations. Commodities still have to deal with actual physical demand in the now. And if it's not there, it's pretty hard for them to ignore that 
you know, for, for the future. So I'm a little worried that we're not quite on the other side of that chaotic reopening phase that they're in. And we're not really sure if they're going to, if it's a three to five month window, could be six months because there's so much a big country. But clearly sometime in the back half of the year, the boomerang effect is going to take place. And, you know, we know that we need to be on guard for that. And, and if you think this through, Maggie, and I hate to think this through, but if you think this through, if the Gleisberg cycle drought kicks in in the U.S., just as China comes out of this reopening and starts to want to buy everything again, you know, it it's, could be really wild situation, um, unfortunate situation. But, you know, that looks like a plausible um, probability at this point that we could have demand kicking in just as we're unable to really provide food to China's needs. Yeah, that's year. that's really concerning. Uh, we we um, are getting questions about coffee, about cocoa. About, do you have a? We know you know we've talked at length about both of those before on the platform. Do you have a favorite trade right now, or something you feel really convicted about? Um, we talked about cocoa before, and 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 the reason I like the cocoa market is because it's a tree crop, and tree crops are different than annually planted crops like corn or soybeans. Um, if you don't invest, if you don't put the fertilizer down, if you don't do husbandry, um, if you ignore your your your, uh, your tree crop plantations, um, they erode away. And anybody you know that that's just the nature of it. its accumulative effect. Um, prices have been so low for so long that West Africa, which produces approximately seventy percent of the cocoa in the world, have not been investing for three years. La Nina weather pattern, by the way, typically provides good weather. West Africa and production has been flattened down for the last couple of years where weather has tended to be good. Well, we are moving away from La Nina, and even though it's going to be later in the year than earlier, according to my work and our work, it's still coming. And it's still going to be a feature later in the year into 24. And El Nino is where West Africa gets into trouble with hot, dry weather. And the point we're trying to make is if they're struggling to grow production when the weather's good. What happens when the weather turns bad? You just don't snap your fingers and rehabilitate your cocoa crop trees overnight. It's going to take a couple of years to get them back on track again. Mm-hmm. So that, and of course, you know, China's appetite for chocolate products would go up significantly later in the year as well. So that to me, and it's one of the few commodities we we'll always look at relative value. The relative value of any commodity to all of the commodities, we view it as like the price to book or the price to sales. And when you look at the price of cocoa to all our commodities, it's still near a 50-year low or just mm-hmm. coming off of 50-year-low undervaluation. Just because it's undervalued doesn't mean it can't stay there, but it's one of the few commodities that actually is still historically undervalued. So if I'm looking at, once again, probabilities of outcomes, weather patterns, what could happen, um, longer term kind of a thing because that's our forte you know period from now heading into you know 24 really looks to me to be the sweet spot for, for the coca market um to have that that weather problem to have that supply problem that most every other ag market has already experienced and generate that price adjustment higher to reflect inadequate supply against demand so i would have to say that that at this point, from a long term, I don't mean today mm-hmm. or tomorrow, next week, next month, from a long term perspective. And by the way, you know, I'm a lot of people on your show, I'm sure, look at technicals, and I'm not, you know, the most technically savvy guy out there, but I know enough to be dangerous. 
there's a seven to 10 year wedge pattern that you can draw. And it's the most beautiful consolidation wedge pattern you will ever see in any market ever. And that wedge completes in the middle of this year, of 23. And usually when these long consolidation patterns reach the end of the cone, either go up big or down big, and it's not a small move in either direction. Obviously, you know, it can go either way. We're trying to say that based upon our work, weather-wise and such, that the odds probably would favor that that ultimate breakout would be to the upside. And, you know, that kind of a move would be the technical trigger for this larger concept idea to the upside that we think Coco could have you know, that might be very, very different from other markets that have already had their big moves or, yeah. you know, my side of the aisle. So I, I, I hate to, I hate to be a broken record and keep saying the same thing, but I, I still feel cocoa market has um, a very good overall risk reward profile. If you're a longer term uh, purveyor of trends. We love it. Sean, we covered a lot of ground and we didn't even get to some of this stuff. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but it's such a fascinating conversation. And really importantly, one that you just don't get to hear, you know, that that cross section I think is so important. Um, if I'm, I'm listening to all of this, my takeaway from this conversation is that we shouldn't be lulled into complacency. We've seen those commodities turn down after that big rip, but there are a lot of things falling into place with both supply and importantly, some of these weather patterns that certainly certainly run the risk of seeing another move up in commodities, um, a trend that you still think is in place. And it may be that agriculture leads on this leg. Um, and so it's something we're really going to have to watch out for. Does that sound fair? I think that's representing it perfectly. Because remember, at the end of the day, we always say that agriculture commodities in the end are weather derivatives. Yes, there's other things that move yeah. them. But if you get the weather pattern correct, if you're correct about that, you're going to get the trends correct. And our work so far has been correct that we're entering in a, in a very unusual weather volatility cycle. And we don't see that slowing down, at least not anytime soon. Absolutely. And they're also, you know, when you're talking about agriculture, it's also, you know, really big when it comes to sentiment, right? Like when we can't get stuff, when the price of that really goes up, boy, it's hard to avoid that. It's hard to change your habits when you need to eat. So I think there's a really important correlation there as like well. It, like it. I can tell you, I live in South Florida, and every year we always have a hurricane cone. It says we're gonna, our life's gonna end as we know it. And literally in five minutes, every shelf of every supermarket is gone instantly because That's everyone's true. we're not gonna have enough. It, the sentiment can change just like that. And so that is very, very important to understand that maybe we don't need copper necessarily right away, but food is an absolute must. And if you're worried about not having it, it can get into a panic in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, that's that kind of inflation we worry about. Sean, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much to be, for uh, for being here with us. It's great to see you again. And thanks to all of you for watching. Um, just before we go, some really exciting news I think you'll be happy about. Uh, starting this Friday, we are going to have extended daily briefings to end the week. We're going to tackle the day's news, of course, and all the market action. We're going to take a deeper dive into some topics as well, spend a even a little bit more time um, talking about uh, strategies and all that kind of stuff in the second half with members. If you aren't already a Real Vision member, we'll have links up all week that'll help guide you through and get you there. So can't wait for that. And the first one is with Raul this week. So it's going to be great. Uh, in the meantime, until we get there, we've got a week ahead of us. Take care and good luck out there.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.